0: Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
1: The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. of curiosities, of oddities. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities.
0: Okay, Hi.
1: Are we doing that?
0: Yes. Okay. I just,
2: I just got out of the shower.
0: <laughs> I don't have any
2: pants on. Stop it. Let's do a pantless podcast Pant- episode.
0: Pantsless?
2: Pantsless. Pantless. Pants. Let's. <laughs> if I'm going to do the show without my pants, you should do the show without your pants.
0: I don't think that you get to make the rules for me as far as pants wearing goes. Take your pants off. Don't. Don't be gross.
2: Well, I'm not putting any on. <laughs>
0: you don't have to. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Oh, um, so it's we we've had a little bit of time off um, uh, and so we're getting back into the groove of things and it always feels weird.
2: We've uh, we we went on vacation. We travel a lot.
0: Yeah. Well, we try to.
2: We try to. We like to. We like to travel. And so we, we try to get out as much as possible. And we just got back from a, a bit of a vacation, and um and
0: also the flu.
2: Yeah, we brought the flu back with us. So <laughs> if you'd like some, you can send us a request, we and did real good. we'll we'll spit in an envelope and send it to you.
0: Don't be gross. That's twice in the in the course of two minutes. I'm, I've had to tell you
2: not to be gross. I'm on a roll. I'm a little uncomfortable because I'm not wearing pants and I'm sitting on a vinyl seat.
0: Yeah, that's gonna get weird.
2: It already is, don't you think? <laughs> Mm. Box of Oddities, The Box of Oddities, that's uh, the name of the podcast. Of course, you know that because you looked it up and downloaded it. And and by the way, thank you for that.
0: Yeah, we love you. We
2: do. (laughs) Is there anything we can do for you besides spitting an envelope?
0: I have a great recipe for a kale and white bean soup if you're interested.
2: That's nice.
0: Speaking of which, a friend of ours uh, was cooking uh, with her crock pot the other day. And I thought this was great. She has a baby monitor, and she set it up in the kitchen facing the crockpot so when she <laughs> went to work, she could check in on her crockpot. <laughs> I just that's, think that's genius. That is genius. It's a Te- great use of technology.
2: Technology is our friend. Let's embrace it, shall we? <laughs> the Box of Oddities is podcast about uh, the bizarre, the odd, the strange, the... Uh, Unbelievable. The unusual. The unusual.
0: And this is what we do. We tell each other stories about stuff that we found, and we thought, hey, we'll share it with you too. And that's how the Box of Oddities became a thing.
2: Our website is theboxofoddities.com. There you can find all of our social media contacts. Oh, yeah. We're all over the social media. As the kids call it these days. I don't think they do. The youngsters.
0: Um, So far, our biggest issue with this, I think, besides the squeaky chairs, has been figuring out who goes first.
2: Well, I'm going to solve that this week because I'd like to go first if that's okay with you.
0: I suppose you can. Can we do that? I did get the jelly eyeballs ready, though, in case you wanted to...
2: Roll them like dice?
0: Yeah. If if the green one comes out, then you go first, and if the blue one comes out, then I go first.
2: Okay, let's do that. I thought ahead this time. That sounds like fun. Okay. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, well, you go first. Okay, good. Green.
2: Green jelly eyeball. That's a beautiful eye. I came across this headline not too long ago, just uh, a few weeks ago. It's a recent story. First human frozen by cryonics will be brought back to life in just 10 years.
0: Why 10 years? I, I need to understand this.
2: The first human frozen after death could be brought back to life in as little as 10 years, according to a cryogenic expert. People have been, if, if you're not familiar with cryonics or cryogenics, it's the uh, science of freezing bodies, flash freezing bodies, so that uh, they could be brought back to life in the future with the hope that uh, whatever disease killed them there would be. You know, a cure for it,
0: right? Because I guess with with freezing at the speed that they do, there's not damage to the the skin and the muscle tissue and such, because it happens so fast.
2: Well, that's that's the theory. I guess it's the ice crystals that form in the cells that uh, rupture the cells and cause problems. So that in flash freezing, it, it or the way that they do it, it minimizes cellular structure damage but not it doesn't completely take it away. So one of the things that they need to do, science needs to progress to the point where they can repair that cellular damage uh-huh. as well as revive the person. Got it. And then cure the disease that they have.
0: Okay. So there's a lot that goes into this.
2: Yes. Okay. This is an article that I found, let me see. This is uh, oh, this is the Daily Star. Okay, so it's, you know, I got tabloid I I don't know what you're saying. But I also found this article, um, several other sites that are maybe perhaps, perhaps a little more credible, but this had the best breakdown of it. The uh, announcement came from a guy named Dennis Kowalski. He's the president of the U.S.-based Cryonics Institute. It's an organization that uh, spearheads the whole human freezing process.
0: Are they hiring?
2: <laughs> would, you, would you like a job there? Yes,
0: please. Really? Yeah. I'm turning, googling tur- it right now.
2: Turning people into a frozen entree.
0: Cryonics Institute.
2: Are they hiring?
0: Careers. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please continue. That's
2: okay. Dennis said that the technology is advancing so fast that uh, he personally, at, at, at his location, can't keep up with the with the demand. He said, "Quote: If you take something like CPR that would have seemed unbelievable a hundred years ago, you know we're taking technology for granted." Now. I see sure so, so you know 100 years ago the idea of doing CPR and bringing people back or resuscitating people was a fantasy yeah in fact sometimes they, they, they thought people were dead and they weren't and they just buried them alive right that's a whole other podcast
0: <laughs> that is coffin bells
2: yeah he um, this guy used to <laughs> used to work as a paramedic which inspired him to get into uh, the field of cryonics And he was also inspired by uh, a book by J. Robert Friedas, which is called Engines of Creation, which focuses on nanotechnology. And I guess that's how they're going to repair the frozen cells with with nanotechnology, little robots. This is so weird, isn't it? It is. Freeze a body, and then they're going to bring you back to life in 100 years or whatever. 10. Well, according to him, 10. And then they're going to use little microscopic robots to repair your cells. Right.
0: Do you remember that movie about the guy that got shrunk down and then put into the body?
2: Yeah. I know what you're talking about. What was it? uh, Dennis. uh,
0: Yeah. Like Dennis Quaid. Dennis
2: Quaid. Yeah.
0: What was that called? Small, tiny, tiny fixings. Small, small parts.
2: Can you Google that too? Tiny fixings. Sounds like a bird's-eye entree.
0: Shrinking movie. Sounds like a bird's- eye movie. <laughs> like a bird. Inner space! Inner space. Yes. Okay, sorry. What were you saying? Yes. Nanotechnology.
2: So this guy says uh, it really depends on how much technology, like stem cells advance. That's a big part of it, right. too. The Stem cells. He went on to say that uh, cryonically bringing someone back to life should definitely be doable in 100 years, but it could happen as soon as 10. And this was a statement he made in, in 2018. Okay. What they do at his place, the Cryonics Institute in Michigan, they've got almost, jeez, I didn't realize this, uh, 2,000 people signed up to be frozen after they die. True. 160 patients are already flash frozen in tanks of um, liquid nitrogen. The process to bring them back from the dead there are as we mentioned before some some major problems.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now the first human ever frozen by cryonics was a guy named Dr. James Bedford and he died in 1967. So he was uh Oh. he was really very much on the forefront of this. For I mean, sure. He was on the forefront.
0: Yeah. He he was the forefront. Yeah. He was so Advanced in his plans and thoughts about this, that he was just that crazy guy.
2: Yeah, he was the crazy guy, but mm-hmm. they actually did. They froze him. He planned the procedure long before he got sick, and uh, both his body and brain were frozen. Sometimes to save money, they'll just cut the head off and freeze that. Sure.
0: Didn't you tell me about uh, something to yeah, do we're, with we're, how you balance heads?
2: Yeah, we'll get to that. Okay. In a Experts have speculated that uh, he should be the first one thought out. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. He was the first one to take the plunge Mm -hmm. in 1967 when technology was kind of, you know, as far as as freezing people and bringing them back to life. Right. Dennis says uh, that he's been attacked by people who accuse him of playing God, especially after he— He took out life insurance policy to have his wife and three kids frozen when they die. That's a little weird.
0: No, I don't understand. But
2: what they do do in order to pay for this procedure, the people that want to be cryogenically frozen, Uh they take out a life insurance policy and they name the uh, Cryonics Institute or... Alcor or one of those companies that do this as mm-hmm. the beneficiary—that's what pays for it. Oh. So, so he did that. He took out uh, life insurance policies on his wife and three kids so they could be frozen when when they die. And people think that that might be a little okay. bit over the line. Some people do.
0: Well, I mean, did they have a say in it?
2: I would I imagine, think that matters. I think probably they. Well, I don't know. Children, you know, they're underage. Should they? Who knows? Anyway. He's spending about a hundred thousand dollars to have his family frozen for the future. Ah, okay. But uh, he insists that what he's doing isn't science fiction. It's it's about creating a better world. Now, this this has been something that has been written about in science fiction for years. Heinlein wrote uh, what was it, The Door and uh, The Door to Summer, mm-hmm. The Door into Summer, which deals with among other things. Uh, suspended animation to get to the future that sort of thing right so anyway this guy dr james bedford who uh was flash frozen in 1967 uh, is being cared for by alcor in uh, scottsdale arizona he's been in suspensions uh since 67 so how many years is that 67 77 87 97 50 some odd years 51 years at this point because we're doing this podcast in 2018 in fact this podcast is going to be frozen And thought out (laughs) in the future. This is from Alcor's website. So Dr. James Bedford was frozen on January 12th, 1967. In the um, intervening years, he was stored in various places. Ultimately, Alcor in Scottsdale took possession of. of dr bedford
0: see i'm pro all of this but the idea of it being moved like your body being moved around Mm -hmm. like it's uh you know in storage yeah that's weird to me (laughs) yep
2: in uh may of 1991 they uh, took him out of the original uh, capsule that they froze him in they call it a doer Mm -hmm. and uh wanted to inspect the body and put him in a more state-of-the-art uh, container. True. According to the Alcor website, uh, removal from the door took place at uh, 9.30 on May 25th. This is from their website. This is uh, the notes from what happened. The end of the door containing the patient was elevated on concrete blocks, effectively submerging the patient's head and torso beginning at 10 a.m. Uh, an abrasive cutting wheel was used to open the outer shell, so they got him out and everything, right. and uh, then they, uh, they they laid him out, and he was in an old sleeping bag that they had originally froze him in. They just put him in a, in a cheap sleeping bag, like, you know, from, well, it's 1967, probably Woolworths. <laughs> the external visual examination discloses, according to the report, a well-developed, well-nourished male who appears younger than his 73 years. Uh, the skin on the upper thorax and neck appear discolored, the area of discoloration is fairly sharply uh, demarcated on the thorax, and this is a lot of technical stuff yeah. that doesn't really matter. Yeah, I don't
0: understand most of that. Yep.
2: There were puncture marks where they uh, put in the uh, the freezing, the antifreeze stuff.
0: Looked all beat up.
2: Yep. Got it. Skin on the left side of the neck, distended, blah, blah, blah. Eyes were partially open. The corneas were chalk white from ice. The nares are flattened out against the face. And I had to look that up, what nares were, the nostrils. So his his, his nose okay. and nostrils were flattened against his face. Apparently the result of being compressed by a slab of dry ice during the initial freezing process. That'll do it. Yep. Uh, the head is fringed with uh, short, cropped, uniformly gray hair. All in all, they said, considering the um, primitive nature of the 1967 freezing process, he's in pretty good shape. Hey. He's in pretty good shape. So Well done, guys. there's an argument now that um, they, Woolworths
0: uh, makes the best sleeping bags. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I don't think that was ever an argument. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that he should be the first one to, to, to be unfrozen. And, and you know, I, I say first come, first served. Absolutely. Oh, this is interesting. His genitals were not visible. Due to the uh, presence of unmelted ice, which uh, anchored the plastic film around him, so they couldn't see his frozen dong.
0: And they didn't investigate further? I mean, ice melts,
2: babe. Yeah, they didn't want it to melt, the thing. Mm. The conclusion was overall, this examination indicates that the patient has uh, at least not been warmed above zero centigrade. Further, the presence of undenatured uh, hemoglobin, as evidenced by the presence of bright red blood and the appearance of water ice remaining on the patient, including what appeared to be loose, condensed frost. Overall, he's in good shape. So he's still a candidate to be thought out. Great. Alcor faced a great deal of controversy a number of years ago, mostly due to a book written by a guy named Larry Johnson. And I read this book.
0: Is this the one that you were telling me about?
2: Yeah, 2009. And I should say that Alcor, of course, disputed all of this and they took him to court over it. Uh, But Larry's book was called um, Frozen, My Journey into the World of Cryonics, Deception and Death. He worked at Alcor for a while and some of the things that he said he saw horrified him. And when he wrote this book, he uh, claimed that uh, people that worked with Alcor were threatening him, that mm-hmm. people were coming to his house and calling him all hours of the night and you know that, that sort of thing. Sure. Of course, they deny all that. Of course. But in his book, he said he watched an Alcor official. Now, Ted Williams is frozen there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, you've heard the story about Ted Williams and I have. the battle with his family. Uh, but it's just his head. They froze Ted Williams' head and uh, preserved it at Alcor. And he said he watched an Alcor official, while they were preparing William's head, um, swing a monkey wrench at William's frozen severed head to try to remove a tuna can that had stuck to it. Apparently there was a cat, or is a cat, that lives at Alcor, that is like the, um, the office mascot, and they feed it tuna fish. And so they have all these empty tuna fish cans, and they use the tuna fish cans, according to Larry Johnson's book, to balance the head on, upside down, while the initial freezing process is taking place.
0: Now, I can't I've I've been in a lot of businesses that that can't they're like, "No, you can't bring your dog in here," mm-hmm. even though, you know, you're going to carry him or whatever. I can't imagine that a a place like that is cool with an office cat.
2: <laughs> it does it does make one wonder. Mm. So they're trying to get this frozen tuna fish can off the uh, the frozen severed head of uh, Ted Williams.
0: Yes, you do. <laughs>
2: yeah, all the time. So he decides the best way to do it is to knock it off with a monkey wrench. Mm-hmm. So the first swing accidentally struck the head, Johnson contends, and the second swing knocked the tuna can loose. They, of course, deny that. I said, that's absolutely not true. Yeah,
0: well, that sounds insane.
2: Yep. They deny, we we deny all allegations reported in the press, blah, blah, blah. Alcor is going to be litigating, which they did. Johnson said that, uh, and this is, a. I found this quote from an ESPN article. Johnson said he worked for Alcor for eight months in uh, 2003, first as a clinical director, then as a chief operating officer, he uh, included several photographs in the book, including one of an upside-down severed head. Not Ted Williams' that head. Just
0: a
1: head.
2: Just a upside-down frozen head, apparently on a tuna fish can. Williams' head was being transferred from one container to another when the monkey wrench incident allegedly took place. When the head was removed from the container, Johnson described it this way. The uh, disembodied face set in that awful frozen scream looked lo- nothing like any picture of Ted Williams I've ever seen. Well, he's dead.
0: Right, he wouldn't.
2: He's upside down, frozen on a tuna can.
0: He's not all like, hey, check out my batting average. He's all like, hey, been dead for a few.
2: Johnson said that uh, an Alcor employee tried in vain to remove the tuna can. He grabbed a monkey wrench, heaved a mighty swing, missed the tuna can completely, but hit the head dead center, Johnson wrote. Tiny pieces of frozen Ted Williams head sprayed around the room. hmm the next swing, Johnson wrote, knocked the can loose. Johnson contends that uh, there was a significant crack in Williams' head, and he also reported an allegation that uh, he had made earlier that samples of Williams' DNA are missing from the facility. Oh, no. Yeah, so somebody's out there trying to clone a new Ted Williams, sure. apparently. So Alcor, they said, you know what, you can't talk to a- about us like that, so we're going to sue the lawsuits against Larry Johnson, according to Wikipedia, were ended by his bankruptcy in various concessions. Uh, in 2009, uh, they, they filed a lawsuit. And part of his concession was this statement. When I wrote the book, I believe my conclusions to be correct. However, information unknown to me and a more complete understanding of the facts furnished by Alcor contradict part of my account and some of my concessions. In light of this new information from Alcor, some parts of this book are questioned as to veracity. Um, And he goes on to mention the Ted Williams uh, thing. He said, uh, for example, my Ted Williams, my account of Ted Williams cryopreservation, which was not based upon firsthand observation, as noted in my book. Apparently, somebody told him about it. Got it. And anyway, he said if uh, if I said anything that uh, was erroneous or any of my recollections uh, had errors and caused some harm, I apologize. The suit was dropped once he filed for bankruptcy. So, what do you think? Would you be willing to uh, freeze yourself with the hope of being regenerated in the future? No, I have no interest in that. Nope. I don't,
0: you know... I don't... Listen, we've discussed this on many occasions. I don't mind the idea of dying. It doesn't weird me out. I'm not like, no, please don't bring that curtain down. I don't care. Um, And I certainly won't care after I'm dead. So... I have no interest in that at all. No, thank you. I,
2: you know, there's enough unanswered questions about death already. Yeah. Without adding a whole other layer layer of... Right. Um, pet
0: of, cemetery bullshit in there.
2: Yeah. Who needs yeah. Pet cemetery bullshit? <laughs> I don't. And, you know, so what if they do... Okay. Let's say... Because, again, so many unanswered questions. Mm-hmm. Let's say that there is an afterlife and there yeah. is a soul. Right. And, and I personally believe that. But what happens if that's the case? And they freeze the body. Is you just going to like sit around and wait for them to thaw out? Do you move on? Do you stay frozen in the body? What and and what happens when they bring you back? Are you going to be pissed?
0: Right. Or is it just the body being brought back and not the soul?
2: Right. And then some evil demon occupies the body. We
0: don't know. We, <laughs> I mean, I feel like I know, but I, we I, don't know yet. Okay. Um,
2: can, but yeah, but no. imagine Ted Williams. There was some concern when they froze him that uh, he even wanted it. He signed a thing, but they say he was uh, he was old, and his son John Henry Williams was really pushing him to do it. Oh, and so there was a lawsuit amongst the siblings, uh, which ultimately um, his son John Henry won because they froze his head.
0: Yeah, I feel like that has to be a really a clear thing you know you if you're going to be frozen with the intention of eventually thawing out and all that i think that should be something that you're real clear on i would think so yeah
2: but um, imagine if he didn't want it or wasn't clear on what was going on and they do manage to revive him sometime in the future and he's just a frozen chipped up head on a tuna can Mm -hmm. He'd be pissed. Well, yeah. He's the greatest hitter that ever lived. It's
0: true. And it, I mean, even if you like it, tuna smells awful. Yeah.
2: Even if it's well rinsed out, that can. It's like, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to get frozen. And uh, apparently you aren't
1: either. So good. No, thanks. The Box of Oddities with Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Here are five weird facts really quick.
2: Today, famous last words from uh, famous people.
0: I think this is going to be a really fun uh, thing that we do in the middle. Number five, surprise me, said by Bob Hope after his wife Dolores asked him where he wanted to be buried.
2: Drummer Buddy Rich died after surgery in 1987 as he was being prepared for surgery. A nurse asked him, is there anything you can't take? And Buddy Rich replied, country music. <gasps> Those are his last words.
0: Uh, Dylan Thomas, as he returned to the Chelsea Hotel in New York uh, at the age of 39, uh, succumbed to pneumonia. His last words were, I've had 18 straight whiskeys. I think that's a record.
2: Number two, let me see if I can get this name correctly. Louise Marie Theresa de Saint-Maurice-Comtesse de Versailles. let one rip when she was dying. And she said, quote, good, a woman who can fart is not dead.
1: That's awesome And she
2: did die And probably people in the room did too
0: Oh This uh, You remember that uh, Parrot that I used to follow on YouTube Alex who was so smart And he could add And he said all kinds of cool things Right before he died He said You be good I'll see you tomorrow I love you
2: Really? A parrot said that? Mm hmm And
1: then the parrot died
0: Yeah I love him
1: The Box of Oddities It's not for everyone
2: Oh, now I'm so sad. Don't be sad. He's in a better place with Ted Williams' head. Stop. All right. So, what is your topic today?
1: All right. Okay. Okay.
2: Okay. Wait a second. I want to put some pants on. I'm cold. You go ahead. I'll we'll put take pants a quick on. break. No, go ahead.
0: Pants break. Pants break. Do 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 pants break.
2: All right. I'm not going to button them though.
0: All right, so on December 13th, 1799, George Washington rode his horse through icy rain, snow and hail. He rushed home for dinner and didn't change out of his damp clothes because he hated to be late. And he, for that, paid the price. That night, Washington woke up clutching his chest, almost unable to breathe, uh, and his wife Martha frantically called for help. Today, we are going to talk about, and I think this is interesting that you talked about cryogenics, because I am going to talk about how close we came to a Washington zombie. What? So speak
2: more of this.
0: Two men, James uh, Crake, who had treated Washington for over four decades, he was a doctor, and George Rollins, an expert in the art of bloodletting, uh, treated the ailing president throughout the night. I should note that I've got almost all of this from Weird History. Um, and I did go to other sites and I, I checked it out. And, and, and this was just from where I pulled most of the information. So big thanks, Weird History. I love it. Uh, Colonel Lear gave Washington a tonic made from molasses, butter, and vinegar, which actually nearly choked the president. Uh, But they thought for some reason that that would help with his viral uh, chest issue that he was dealing with.
2: Or just make a delicious topping for pancakes. Mm.
0: So every few hours, Rollins removed blood to, quote, cool the president's fever, which, you know, bloodletting is something that they did for years. And unfortunately, by dusk on December 14th, uh, he had taken out nearly 40% of George Washington's blood. Oh you just can't oh. keep doing that. No. That doesn't no. help. You, yeah, So George Washington died just after 10 o'clock. On December 14th, from 1799, from a combination of a viral infection of his throat and the bloodletting treatments, oh my God. Uh, Dr. William Thornton rushed to Mount Vernon to try and save the president's life after he heard about what was going on. He was a specialist in performing tracheotomies, which were really uh, new and dangerous, uh, but he was confident that he could relieve Washington of his suffering. But unfortunately, by the time he got to uh, the House, Washington was already dead. He, though, was not deterred. He still believed that he could help by bringing the man's corpse back to life. How have I never heard about this? So Dr. William Thornton was not just an expert in tracheotomies. He had also read about the history of blood transfusions in the 17th century. These experiments were deemed so dangerous that the procedure was banned in France. But Thornton believed that it still might work. Um, So he had done all this research. And I'm going to try to catch you up a little bit. So. The very first attempt at a blood transfusion occurred in 1492. Can you imagine that? Um, pope uh, Innocent seventh, VII? eighth fell into a coma, and his physician recommended blood and hired three young boys to donate blood to the pope. So the technology to inject blood intravenously didn't exist. So according to one account, the physician poured the blood into the Pope's mouth. No! That did not work, by the way. The Pope died, and so did all three boys. That's not how you do a blood transfusion. No, no. 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 That's just a basic understanding of where your throat goes.
2: Let's Let's just pour some blood down his throat, and maybe it'll make its way in there somehow. It'll just leak into the veins.
0: There was some groundbreaking medical work of William Harvey in the 1620s that brought blood back into the spotlight. So Harvey demonstrated that blood circulated through the body, meaning that it was possible to insert new blood into someone's veins. So by the 17th century, scientists also designed metal tools that could inject blood into the veins. And this combination of technology and scientific theory set off a wave of blood experiments.
2: And this was when?
0: In the 17th century. Okay. Most of these experiments, though, were on animals, and it's pretty upsetting, so I'm actually going to skip most of that.
2: <laughs> um, You're more upset about them experimenting uh, blood transfusions on animals in the 17th century than Ted Williams severed frozen head.
0: So scientists also wondered uh, if it was even safe to give a human a blood transfusion. If the blood and the soul were connected, they wondered, uh, would a blood transfusion threaten your soul? Um, Uh So the concern was that maybe who you are is contained in your blood. I think it says in the Bible, um,
2: life is in the blood.
0: Does it? Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, It it actually became a problem, though, uh, later on, and we'll, we'll get to that. There was a successful human blood transfusion uh, on a a French doctor called Jean-Baptiste Denis, and that happened in 1667. He this this doctor was an expert in animal transfusions and he performed public transfusions uh out in public. It was like he did it to show, "Hey, look what I can do." And so he would just bring his stuff, like his medical stuff out onto the
2: street. Like a street juggler? Yes.
0: Yes, exactly like that. Wow. Yeah. Um it was gross and um <laughs> he thought it was uh Barbarian to shorten the life of one man to extend the life of another because they didn't understand how blood worked. Sure. And so they thought if you were taking blood out of one person to give it to another one, that that means that he would just inevitably live less. Um, so he used animal blood. And in uh, 1667, he gave lamb's blood to a 16-year-old who suffered from fevers. Uh, and How'd they that go? They said it worked.
2: No. The
0: guy lived. Um, Whether or not it was because of that transfusion, I'm not saying. (laughs) But what I'm saying is the boy didn't die. Wow! Um, In November of 1667, uh, there was another plan for a human-animal transfusion. uh, And physicians said that this guy, uh, whose last name is Koga, uh, his brain was too warm, uh, which is what caused mental illness. So they needed a regular... Temperature blooded person, or I'm sorry, a regular temperature blood to put into his body to cool his brain so he wouldn't be mentally ill anymore. And so they did that. They uh, pumped a bunch of lamb's blood into this man, and uh, he did. Oh, he did okay. Uh, he didn't die. He actually came back a couple weeks later for a second transfusion. Again, did okay. How
2: is this possible?
0: Um, not long after that, though, they wanted to do a third transfusion, and he said no because uh, it was turning him into a sheep. And that would be my he began writing letters to people and signing it with Koga the sheep and uh, (laughs) said that he had turned into another species. Uh, so. That didn't work out well for that guy named Koga. The biggest setback, though, uh, in blood transfusions came. And you could call it a setback or you could call it, um, whoa, just calm the hell down. Stop doing what you're doing. Uh, it came in 1667 when um, they tried to cure a man with calf's blood and he began having seizures and died. And so uh, – yeah. They said, yeah, you can't do that. William was actually charged. The doctor in that case was actually charged with murder in that case. He wasn't um, he didn't end up going to jail for it, though. So now that you know a little bit about that business, uh, let's go back to December 15th, 1799, when William Thornton looked at the frozen corpse of George Washington, and he believed that he could bring Washington back even after rigor mortis had set in by combining heat Air and blood.
2: So, when you say frozen, you mean just from rigor mortis. Yes. Okay.
0: Exactly. Um, no, they didn't have the cryogenics lab up or, and running. Or
2: tuna cans.
0: Seventeen ninety nine. So, excuse me. Thornton called for uh, cold water to slowly be uh, warmed over the president's body. He said, by degrees and by friction, give him warmth. This will revive the president's cold blood vessels. And the blood vessels needed to be warmed in order to perform the tracheotomy. He wanted to open up George Washington's throat so he could get air into him, Mm -hmm. which there was nothing blocking his throat, by the way. You can just put your mouth on his mouth. Anyway, uh, so they wanted to artificially inflate his lungs with air and then use the lamb's blood to provide all the vital energy to, quote, spark the president's life force (laughs) in the end, though. Thornton's plan to resurrect the president was overruled by the Washington family. They were not so much concerned with whether or not it could be done, but if it should be done. Um, oh. They were like, OK, so George Washington has lived this amazing life. Uh, he's he's what's that word, you know, with the straight back. And he's all like, I do good things. burp, burp, burp. And they were like, we can't just play around with your zombie lamb's blood uh, and, and mess with him. So, in short, death was better than a Frankenstein president uh, resurrected with lamb's blood. Uh, William Thornton, by the way, wow. was very upset by this. Uh, two, two decades later, he wrote, there was no doubt in my mind that his restoration was possible. And, unfortunately, it was squashed by those dang Washingtons. He just wouldn't let him do what he wanted to do with the lamb's blood. That's... Yeah, and that's the story of how we almost had a zombie Washington. That's
2: incredible. I had never heard that story before. Yeah. And I dive deep. <laughs> you on, are on weird stuff, especially mm-hmm. weird historical facts.
0: Yeah, you're a rabbit hole kind of guy. I
2: am a rabbit hole kind of guy.
0: Yeah, I as soon as I started reading about this, I was like, "Oh, I
2: need more." So, did did they say how long he'd been dead by the time they got there with the lamb's blood?
0: It was the next day.
2: It was a day. Yeah. It was an entire day. Yeah. It's kind of like their version of uh, cryonics, isn't it?
0: So, yeah, I think it's really interesting that you and I both uh, came to the table with topics of bringing people back to life. Did we give each other signals by way of our our brainwaves? Maybe.
2: Okay. Some kind of a ethereal connection Mm -hmm. mentally. Let me ask you this. Go. Let's say that all these frozen bodies – um, are never revived, mm-hmm. and civilization, civilization, our our civilization is um, destroyed or almost entirely destroyed. Uh-huh. Thousands of years from now, yeah, civilization rises again. Archaeologists find these guys that are frozen in tubes. Let's just theoretic, hypothetically think, you know, that the power stayed on so okay. that they, you know, there's some sort of a a way to keep them um, frozen. Would they look at it as some sort of a religious ceremony, a rite of passage type of thing? Or would they understand what it was really for? And I ask this because maybe the ancient Egyptians were doing that, not freezing, but mummifying with the idea that, hey, maybe in the future, someone can bring these guys back to life.
0: Mm, It's an interesting thought. I mean, if you... Who knows? There were some really wacko ideas out there back in the day. So, you know, maybe maybe that's the case. I just don't see how um, filling their bellies with flowers and uh, jewels and bra- removing the brain
2: through the nose would
0: have uh, helped them later on in life. I mean, oh. I know some people who would really benefit from that, but. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> most, of them, most, of, most of them are in Congress. <laughs> It seems no, but I mean theoretically. Theoretically,
0: no. I mean, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying.
2: Egyptian mummies with with DNA and cloning and that sort of thing isn't isn't it at least possible? Sure. That that could happen.
0: I I see your point, sir.
2: I think I'd rather be mummified than frozen. It seems it, more dignified, doesn't it? It does. Flowers in the belly as opposed to a head on a tuna can. you know
0: how sensitive I am about being cold. (laughs) That's right. I don't like it at all.
2: I'm going to look into that uh, George Washington thing a little bit more. That was fascinating. Good stuff. Oh, I'm glad
0: you liked it. Good
2: stuff. Theboxofoddities.com is our website. Check it out. We'd appreciate it. Um, And if you have an idea for a topic or some subject matter you would like explored, uh, you can send us an email.
0: Curator at... TheBoxOfOddities.com
2: That is correct.
0: Or you can find us on the social medias. The IG, the FB, the t- Twitter.
2: Yeah, it doesn't sound quite as quite as cool, but you, you get the idea. You All that stuff's on our understand. website. TheBoxOfOddities.com uh, TheBoxOfOddities.com We'll see you next
1: time. And so, let it be known that The Box of Oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands therefore it's been requested by those of whom i report to to beseech you for assistance the box of oddities is free we ask but one thing of you to provide a five-star rating and a positive review true that is two things however tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review also subscribe to us okay so three things is all we ask three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. The Box of on Facebook at facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities, and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.
2: Hello everyone, Stuy here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything. A podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything.